This is an AMI podcast. Welcome to the Triple Vision podcast, your window into the past, present, and future of blindness in Canada. This podcast has been made possible by a generous contribution from T-Base Communications and the support of the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. The mission of Triple Vision is to gather and document previously untold Canadian blindness narratives, one lived experience at a time, and to make our history accessible and universally known. Welcome to Triple Vision. I'm David Best, and in this episode, we are going to continue our exploration of the history of employment for blind Canadians. And in this episode, Peter, you ask us a very difficult question about why the high rate of employment is so persistent over the past hundred years or so. So what do you think we can learn from our interviews? Well, it's the question that we've asked ourselves in starting these podcasts on employment. So we'll have, it looks like about four to five episodes on employment. And each time we've tried to get at this question some way, why is the unemployment rate continue to be so high? And and why has it always been so high, really, for people with disabilities? In this episode, we're going to hear from our, our panel, couple of members of our advisory committee and you yourself, David, people who have been in the workforce, some who are still in the workforce, have experienced issues of employment and uh, to some extent unemployment their whole lives to try to get at this question. So I think people are going to find it an interesting discussion. Today we're continuing our series on employment, and uh, we pulled together a bit of a panel today to answer the question, why is the unemployment rate within the blind and visually impaired community so high? I want to start off by asking our three panelists today, Vic Pereira, Marcial, and David Best, just to give us a quick introduction as to who they are. My name is uh, Vic Pereira. I'm a career public servant in the IT uh, side of, of things where I've started in application development and moved to uh, leading project teams and now I'm in data analysis. And outside of work, I'm the chair of the Vision Impaired Resource Network. I'm Marcy Yale and I worked for 22 years for a telecommunications company. And uh, the first 12 were in the call center and the last 10 were various, various jobs. And the last 13 years I've spent basically volunteering and I'm the national president of the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. I'm David Best and I am an accessibility specialist. I have recently retired from IBM as a software engineer, where I worked on global business projects. And I now support, as an accessibility consultant, small and medium-sized businesses with their digital communication strategies. Thank you for that. All of you have jobs, and all of you have had careers, and all of you are well-placed to talk about employment. I think all of us are roughly within the kind of same demographic uh, in terms of age, where we may have attended school in the 70s and and, and earlier and then um, you know managed to find gainful employment uh, for some time and and stayed with that so 
why do we why do you think the unemployment rate is so high amongst particularly our community people who are blind and visually impaired and deafblind this is vic i i think a lot of times is there doesn't seem to be an understanding on how I do things. And this is why I've never been a proponent in trying to raise awareness by putting somebody under blindfold and taking them out. Because there's a difference between a person with quite a bit of vision trying to cross a busy street under a blindfold, even if they're being guided, and me trying to cross a busy street because I've had a lot of practice and strategies and, and the way I hear and perceive things seems to be much different. And even when I was working or volunteering at the Canada Summer Games here uh, at one of the uh, volleyball courts, when I went to replenish my food cart for the athletes going to the kitchen, a person was almost panicking because I was there by myself getting the Lodi Islands, uh, the items on the cart, and then going back to the gymnasium. They couldn't understand that I can navigate a cart uh, into the elevator and back to the gymnasium because they probably don't have any understanding on how they would do it if they had no vision. And I think that happens throughout offices and employers might have those perceptions as well. Just to add to Vic's uh, statement there, it's David here. I think one of the major challenges we face is that we're always at the trailing end of progress. Up through the 1900s, shelter workshops were quite popular because they were opportunities for people that couldn't get into the workforce. However, we have shifted from the labor-based economy to the knowledge-based economy, and the policies and procedures have not kept up with the uh, progress of the world when it comes to employment environments, uh, workplace tools and, and transportation. So I, I think the reason why we have always sort of been behind with, with employment is that we just are always left behind when advancements are made. No, there, there's no policy to include our needs as the progress moves forward. I think that also it, it really takes a will. It takes the will to, to hire. Uh, so if, if there's a will to hire disabled people, then it will happen. If there isn't a will, it won't happen. And I, I really... I feel like the the end of the 80s, there was a true interest in in for in in putting forward people with disabilities and having them be hired, but that will has sort of gone the way of the I don't know the dodo bird. When you hire someone with a disability, everything is different accommodations, training, because they can't necessarily just fit into your training class. That may not work for everybody. So I think, I, I really think that that's the thing, that we have to somehow encourage employers to, to bring back that will to hire. Because as soon as the, the staff changes, 
Mm-hmm. So um, as soon as the up the upper echelons of a company change, you may have lost your your company's will to hire because it has to start from the top. Uh, it doesn't really matter what the bottom thinks. Uh, if the top wants it, then it's going to happen. I think that the will is there. I think the challenge is that the world changes very rapidly. And back in the 1980s, well, in 1970s is when technology really started to take a hold. And that's when things looked very good for us. Because even in the 70s, I was using things like people never heard of, like optical character recognition and voice to text recognition and and things like that, braille production. And in the 80s, computers were text-based. But in the 90s, we hit the roadblock of the introduction of the graphical user interface and a lot of people who are blind lost their jobs. And in this century, we've shifted into a much faster moving world where technology is the primary core of most any business today. And I think the challenge is for companies to try and build their business, they have a lot of responsibilities with government regulations and trying to market in a, in a very competitive global world. But we have not been able to keep up with that change. So I, I think the challenge we have is that we need to be able to make the transition from when we're educated now, like kids are going through university who are blind, get into the world of employment, how can they assert themselves into that that sighted world? And I, I think we need to, to develop that training of confidence. We need to develop that training of how can I work in a sighted world? I have all kinds of options at my disposal. And at the same time, we, we need to get employers to be willing to listen to me when I come in for an interview, not to to perceive things the way they perceive it, but try to perceive it the way I do. And that's really where the challenge is. And I think what we're battling today is the gap between leadership understanding of accessibility, where they promote inclusion, and the implementation of management of accessibility. Quite often, management does do not have the resources, they do not have the skills, they do not have the talent. And in frustration, despite what leaders want them to do, they take the easy route and they just say, well, we can't hire you or we need to let you go. Vic, you work in IT. How do you react to that as an IT individual uh, working in the field? Well, there was, there were several like, uh, things that came to mind listening to David and Marcia's responses is a lot of fields in colleges and universities have or used to have like things like co-op programs and practicums where you know students get to go to a workplace for you know two months or four months depending on what the program and that usually is a pretty good opportunity for for someone with a disability to I don't like to use the term market themselves, but to demonstrate their abilities and that they can fit into a, a sighted environment. But there's also a responsibility on that person to be able to provide solutions. 
I, I have encountered situations, whether it's it's my employers, they, they want to help, they want to provide a solution, but they don't know what that is, or they might not know where to go for the answers. And where, where I've been successful, even when I take training, because in IT, there's, as David said, it changes so quickly. I've been through, you know, lots of, lots of training. As long as I can go in there and set up my environment for me to work at uh, and keep up with my fellow students, I, the instructor and the, the people at the facilities have been much more helpful than if I say, you need to set up an accessible workstation for me. And it's not because they didn't want to, it's because they didn't know how. When we've discussed this issue as a, a team putting together the, the employment uh, podcasts, um, we're trying to figure out sort of what's been the ingredient behind why some people are more successful than others in gaining employment. And really, the only solution that we've come up with as a team is basically determination. People may have gotten good education, good family supports. Um, that has equipped them in life to be determined and to push hard uh, to get those jobs and to, to keep those jobs. That's a lot of pressure, a lot of stress on individuals. And I'd, I'd like to think that, you know, in a, in a more modern, going to date myself here, but a more modern age when we're talking about inclusion and we're talking about changing systems and, and programs and IT systems and policies to be more inclusive, that uh, maybe that pressure uh, can come off the individual and uh, maybe the employers and their systems can be more accommodating. Um, is that shift starting to happen? Are people seeing that shift happen? Marcy, I'll ask you first. I don't think so. And I think part of the problem uh, is that employers... See, I've always said that it, that it would really help if you could go to a company and be able to figure out which jobs were accessible. Because sometimes you think one's going to be, and it's not. And I think it won't happen until companies make the effort to look at their jobs and say, okay, this one is not accessible. Can we make it accessible? If we can't, then okay. But let's try and find an inventory, to create an inventory of jobs that anyone can do. If I could just tell a little story about the communications company I worked for. The end of the 90s, they had a few of us in their wireless call center and, and quite a few more in their cable call center. And they brought in a new computer system. And when they were doing the RFP for the, for the computer system, they told us that yes, it would be accessible. Well, it was not. And so they had to now get other jobs for the wireless people, for sure. And instead of doing a job inventory and saying, here is a list of what you can do. So here is a list of all the jobs in the company that are accessible to you, that do not focus on 
the customer-facing billing system, which you can't use, but which you could do. Instead of doing that, they asked us where we wanted to be. What department do you want to be in? Well, how do you figure out where you want to be when you've just been hit over the head with this, you know, lack of loyalty from the company that just said, no, we're not going with a computer system that's accessible. So how do you figure out on your own where you want to be or what job you can do um, when you don't know what the options are? And I think that that's, that's a really really important point because that company still hasn't done it and cannot hire Hmm. 20 years later. Cannot hire a blind person because their customer-facing billing system is still not accessible. David, is the inclusion mindset, and we kind of touched it on, on this already, filtering down to the point where all jobs can and should be accessible? I, I think there's a definite shift uh, for inclusion. Can all jobs be accessible? Well, maybe eventually. I mean, there are some situations where you know, a blind person would not want to take on a particular job. But I think for the most part, we have to look at global trends. Over the last, I don't know, 70 years or so, we've had a, a push-pull effect of two very important trends. One is the innovation trends where technology has taken precedence. You saw back in the 90s where the graphical user interface came in, and then more recently, the artificial intelligence is taking over. And we see that technology trend pushes big business. That's what makes money, okay? Mm -hmm. The other trend is the human development trend. And we're seeing social media, we're seeing human rights codes across the world in different countries. These two trends are starting to come closer and closer together. And what's pushing it is the supply and demand. So back in the 70s, the women's movement really shifted the whole culture attitude toward the workplace. And that's how we sort of followed in behind that trend. All of a sudden, um, we started talking about uh, including people with disabilities. Well, in the early part of this century where the dot-com bubble burst, people all of a sudden realized that technology isn't necessarily all what it is. Technology should meet my need. So what you see now is a consumer-based push. There's more and more people there pushing companies to create products they want, not what the companies want to give them. And so here again, we're following that trend. We're getting companies to mainstream some of the needs we want into their products. And um, I think the, the most recent trend is the virtual workplace. I've worked for uh, virtually from home oh, for more than 20 years now. Um, and the company was okay with it. IBM was very, very accepting of working at home. And now, today, we see more and more people saying, why can't I work at home? And this is something we've been pushing for for years. And I think now we're catching up to people because the demand is there. We don't have a big enough population to create that demand. But as soon as the, the population sees what we have, 
in, from their own perspective, of course, they want it. And that's when the demand starts pushing companies to change. And we see a real shift in in the attitude of how companies see the customer. And we're seeing more and more companies now paying more attention to what people want rather than just saying, here's some really neat technology products for you. Vic, is it the issue that the way that work is structured or is it the individual skills that people come in with or is it some kind of combination of those two things that's creating some of these barriers? Yeah, it's it's skills uh, that come in, uh, how workplaces are structured. Maybe a bit of stubbornness on my part, because I've uh, I've I was a generalist, and when David mentioned trends, I I did struggle when we brought in the the graphical user interfaces, but because I was a generalist at that point, and computers were very expensive, we ended up doing a lot of our the work ourselves in maintaining them. So I, you know, I got quite comfortable in uh, replacing power supplies or doing chip updates. And a lot of the backend stuff was still accessible because it was text-based and it was required terminal emulators to get at uh, switches to, to manage traffic or to manage local area networks, which then grew into wide area networks. And even, you know, the, just uh, several years ago, when the jobs were changing, where those of us on the technical side were expected to go to a lot of client sites, we just happened to have a director in town, and I spoke to her about it and saying, I can make my workplace accessible to me, but if I have to support 45 clients with dozens of, of sites, shipping me to that site, I'd spend all day just putting braille labels of what server did I put on what rack and what color these labels are. And that's when I got into managing the teams because I started taking project management courses in the evening to update my skills. So I had the technical knowledge and the technical background. And then I added that piece of education where now I could manage these brilliant project teams who worked really hard and made me look good. And they had no idea what level of vision I had because I've, I never met a lot of these people on, on my teams. So David had a very good point. We need to be aware of, of trends. And if we can update our skills ahead of time to, to get in front of those trends, or at least to go along with them instead of trying to react to them afterwards, I think that would lead to much more success. David, you've talked about how security often trumps accessibility in the work environment. Can you tell us about that? Well, there's three core principles that are, are focused on for design. One is performance and security and accessibility. So performance is where, you know, we, we need to make sure that we develop a product whereby you know, the, the user, if they have a small bandwidth or something, they can still download stuff or whatever. Um, we need to make sure that uh, the performance level, there, there's not a long delays between different tasks you do on your computer. Security is, is probably the biggest component right now. There's so much work going into security because of cyber crimes. And that's really where the focus is. Accessibility is, is a small focus. Accessibility is really a measurement of productivity, which measures usability. So it doesn't matter if you have a disability or not. You want your employees to have good productivity. And so they, 
whether they they think of it as accessibility or not, they're pro, they're developing tools to be um, usable and productive. But unfortunately, my experience in in working with IT groups, they're quite often um, forced to make decisions, and quite often the decision is made that their security is more important. Therefore, they cannot create a bridge between the assistive device and the system application or whatever. And that's where the challenges of management comes in because managements have these issues where they they can't resolve them without, um, you know, special needs advice, you know, and, and IT has the technical answers, but they don't have the end user answers. Marcy, what do you think is the biggest barrier to people once they get in the workplace? Attitudes. <laughs> Attitudes, okay. Attitudes. And, and how does that take shape? What What does that look like? Well, there are times when you just, your your colleagues don't want you there. Um, they may see you as a drain on the, on the system. Um, they may see that you're getting special attention, whatever it is. Mm. Uh, sometimes your colleagues don't want you there. Sometimes you try and make things better by, you know, trying to discuss things with leadership and that doesn't work. Um, yeah. Attitudes. I, I still think that, that a lot of our issues um, are caused by attitudes. Vic, what do you think? Yeah. The, the attitudes are there and, People think you you don't hear what they say. It's, you know, but the, I have heard people say, you know, oh, Vic's quite high functioning, which is an unusual comment to say because you know, just because I can carry something or I get to and from work on my own or whenever meetings were held abroad, I, I just traveled like, like everybody else will to get to point A to point B. So when, when you have coworkers that make that type of comment, you realize that there really needs to be a lot of education that takes place on, on their part because they would never say that about a, a fellow employee with a, with a, that doesn't have a disability. Attitude is the number one barrier, and it always has been and it always will be because people are people. We all have our biases. I think we, we need to get business leaders and managers to come together and understand the difference because with that gap between what leaders want to do and what managers Mm -hmm. try to do, but they can't because of all of the other issues they're dealing with until until we close that gap, um, it's going to be very hard to, to change the attitudes within the business world. Yeah. We have to get people to, to realize what our abilities are, uh, we have to help people understand there might be, you know, half a dozen things I can't do, but let's let's focus on the, you know, several thousand things that I can do. Well, this has been a great conversation. I feel like we've only scratched the surface. Um, it's a conversation that continues to evolve as, you know, as all of you have pointed out, as technology evolves, as societal attitudes change. Hopefully, we can continue to be in the flow of that involvement and, and, and to move along. So thanks, everyone, for joining us today on Triple Vision. Well, Peter, I don't know if we've answered the, uh, the question satisfactorily, but I do believe 
that the matter of employment is really a matter of perspective in that quite often we see Stats Canada come up with these job creation numbers for the population. And I often wonder, how do we measure the employment and unemployment for people with disabilities? That's a good question, David. I don't actually have an answer to that question other than it seems that when um, you know, StatsCan uh, does these things that it treats people with disabilities and other groups kind of separate, right? So we've got these numbers for everybody, which I guess includes um, so-called marginalized groups. And then we've got sort of our own unemployment numbers. And maybe that's part of the problem, actually, is that kind of separation between, let's say, us and, and everybody else. I don't really like to put it that way, but maybe it kind of looks that way. What struck me from our panel, though, was the continuing emphasis on attitudes and how uh, some of our panel members talked about attitudes of employers and even co-workers still aren't there in terms of understanding um, abilities of people who are blind and, um, and sometimes not very welcoming. And I thought we were well past that. Hannah, what, what did you take away from this podcast? Um, I thought it, I thought the panel really talked about the day-to-day reality of jobs and workplace attitudes because I I found that to be the case. I, I'm still amazed at you know after decades of integration, all those people that saw blind people in the classroom and other disabled people in the classroom perform, and now we're all you know that whole those generations are in the workplace now, and we still see that divide that understanding divide about the capacity of people with vision loss. So it's disheartening, honestly, it really is. But in our next episode, we're gonna talk to Ross Eady, who is a Winnipeg city councilman who's also totally blind. And he's gonna talk to us a little bit about accountability and, and, but more from, I guess, a government perspective. So we look forward to hearing that. So stay tuned to our next episode where Ross will talk to us about that. Triple Vision is made possible by the generous support of T-Base Communications and the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. Triple Vision is produced in collaboration with Accessible Media, Inc., AMI-audio. Jacob Shemansky is the technical producer and Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. And finally, thank you for joining us on this journey. If you would like to reach out to Triple Vision with questions and comments, you can reach us at triplevision21 at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at triplevision21.